Hey there. Uh, before we get into the episode, I want to take a moment and share an update on Summer Tour the Game. Uh, it's an adventure-based board game inspired by those epic trips we all had following our favorite bands on Summer Tour, but I need your help to bring this thing to life. Our long-term goal is to see Summer Tour the Game in every head shop in the country and, and eventually available at major retailers like Target and Amazon and all those places. Uh, but before we can achieve that, we need to hit our all-or-nothing goal when we launch our Kickstarter campaign on Sunday, May 12th. We'll have 30 days to make this happen. Listen, your support would mean the world to me. Even just hitting the uh, the notify me on launch button on the Kickstarter page can make a huge impact. You can learn more by visiting summertourthegame.com where you'll find detailed information, videos, a link to the Kickstarter page. You'll also find a direct link to the page in the show notes of this episode. Uh, I do hope you'll support Summer Tour the Game. It's really fun. And thanks so much for listening to Tales from the Lot. Now on with the episode. Tales from the Lot, episode 16. My guest is Steve White. He's here to talk Lake Placid 101783, the Spud Hut, and a ring of dancing people. Here we go. Hi, this is Will, and this is Tales from the Lot. My guest today is Steve White from Edmonds, Washington. Welcome, Steve. Thanks, Will. Happy to be here. Yeah, awesome. So um, he wrote me a, a really fascinating email about uh, a story of going to a show in Lake Placid, which we'll get to in a minute, but uh, I'd like to hear your sort of your journey on on how you got to the Grateful Dead and and what you were into, sort of like growing up. What like, what what music were you buying as a, as a youngster, or or having your parents buy? Uh, what what was really uh, the music you're coming from? I, I love that you start off with that question because I think it is it, the the seminal influences <laughs> on all of us are so interesting, right? And my parents were not into rock and it roll. Is. I didn't think I I couldn't say that as a generalization, but they owned three records that really impacted me, and uh, those were Iron Butterfly and it got it a Vita, um, CSNY Deja Vu, Classic. which would have been my first exposure to Jerry, and um, Abbey Road. Yeah, you know, and I don't know why they picked those albums that they wow. owned, but you know, as a kid with my headphones on, I listened to those over and over and over again. So I got this weird psychedelia from Iron Butterfly. I got you know <laughs> CSNY doing their thing with Jerry laying down pedal steel licks, and and you know it's like I, I don't and, and I always looked at his picture like that fuzzy guy looks really cool, you know. And, uh, and then, you know, Abbey Road <laughs> right. is a classic, right? And I can tell you where the skip is on the second side of that mm-hmm. record in my parents' house, right? It would always skip in the same place. So those, those records, my parents, for whatever right. reason owned, really stuck with me. And then, you know, I, I was blessed by having friends who really had diverse taste. I mean, we were listening to everything from Van Halen to, you know, Weather Report and everything else in between. Um, my first concert was Styx. And that was incredibly mind blowing, you know, seeing sticks on their pieces of eight tour, you know, Molly Hatchet and the Outlaws, um, you know, the Good Rats, all these cool bands that, you know, were coming through Rochester, which Rochester, New York, where I grew up. Um, and then I got to, mm-hmm. when I got to, I changed high schools at one point and those guys were all into like prog rock. So we started listening to stanley clark and jean-luc Ponty and larry coriel and all kinds of crazy shit which for 16 year olds and in, in, in retrospect mm-hmm. i'm like how the hell did they guy, these guys know that stuff so i had this weird rock and roll you know <laughs> transition into prog rock and 
And, and, and in the middle of all that, the first record I ever bought myself was Steve Miller Band, Fly Like an Eagle, which also had its weird little spacey things going on and inside all the pop rock. Right. Great record. But then you take all those things and you meld them together. Yeah. And it's it, at the time, I had no idea where it was leading me. But it makes sense that it kind of led to the Grateful Dead because that, that expressionist kind of exploring based into kind of folky... You know, all those things that I was listening to all made sense. But the crazy thing is, uh, I couldn't right. stand the Grateful Dead. You know, all I'd heard was Steal Your Face over and <laughs> over and over again. And this buddy of mine was, you know, one time said, I've got tickets to see the Grateful Dead. Do you want to go? And I was like, no, I don't want to go see the Grateful Dead. They suck. And he's like, come on. <laughs> That's my story. Yeah. And he's like, just come on, let's go. So yeah, yeah. That's the 16-year-old kid, me, goes off to the Rochester War Memorial on September 2nd, 1980, and um, got my mind blown. We were in the fourth row. I was right in front of Brent back when he had long hair, and mm. Jerry was on the other side of the stage at that time. And none of that really matters. But what matters to me was like I had no idea what I was getting myself into, and um, they grabbed me. And by the time we got the drums, they, that's back when they had the Beast, when they had those two big bass drums dangling from the rack in the back. And when Mickey and Billy were beating on that thing, yep. it was literally making the Rochester War Memorial shake. Like you could feel the floor vibrating like an earthquake. It was going up through my feet. And uh, mm -hmm. that was, you know, symbolic of the whole experience for me. So my first show really, it's a great one too. If you dig that one out, I mean, they, they played a China Rider in the first set. Uh, Lost Sailor, Saint of Circumstance, first set, second set, estimated a Terrapin transition. Ico and Dew were in that second set. And at that time, Ico and Dew were not getting played that that much. So it was kind of a, I didn't realize at the time, it was kind of a, a big deal, right? And I left right. that show going, wow, these guys are pretty fun. You know, yeah. And, yeah. and again, I was a, a senior in high school at that point. So it was a very... Um, seminal moment for me and uh, really, really had a lot of fun. And then I was on the bus. I couldn't get off the yeah. bus at that point. The same thing. You know, I, I had a friend who was into it and, and, and I wasn't as much, but uh, he's just like, I'll, I'll buy your ticket. Just go. Trust me. You will like this. And, and, you know, little did we know at the time that it, that it's, it's, it's much more than just uh, going to a, a concert. Uh, <laughs> it's a community. It turns into a lot more. Yeah, it really is. It's yeah. a, a, crazy, crazy. And beyond the music, that's what I felt on the floor of that, of that show, too. We're in the fourth row, but I was not getting crushed up against the boards. Nobody was being mean and nasty or, you know, pushing me out of the way. It was a completely different experience, and that was impressive as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I, and even in my I mean, time, I didn't see a whole lot of that. Like, I was there. I was seeing them in the 90s, and I didn't see a whole lot of crushing, luckily, uh, which was nice. So, but I know that it happened uh, and, you know, there were, I always hear the stories it was just of, out of excitement more than anything else. Right. It wasn't yeah. really malevolent, you know, and you, you hear all the tapes with Bobby's, you know, singing that's take a step back song. You know, I, I heard right. that a couple times, but it was really, it wasn't from a place of people. It wasn't a mosh pit, you know? Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I was, I went to Buckeye one time and I was, I was like, right. Like first or maybe second person. I don't remember clearly. Uh, and, uh, for them to open up the fence and and i don't know if you've ever been there but it's it's a long trek from where the the fence opens up and lets the gate opens up and lets people in to where the stage is and and uh luckily i can run because i saw a stampede behind me and i was <laughs> i was this much ahead of everybody so. there you go that's uh, cool a good time well so so, uh, so that, your, kind of... your friend took you to this one and and did did you guys have some touring buddies that started seeing shows from that point on um I'm going to say no to that um, because it, at that point, Dave and I were like the only deadheads in our town. 
And we were kind of, you know, again, I was 16 years old. I didn't have a car. I barely had a license, you know, so we didn't like, we didn't, we weren't able to go just get on tour. That didn't happen until a couple of years later. You know, when I got on, Mm -hmm. got to college, that's when I really got in, got more into the touring thing. And I, I, I went to a place called St. Lawrence University, which is way up in northern New York. It's closer to Ottawa than it is to any place <laughs> else in New York. It's eight hours north of New York City. So in the middle of nowhere. But the, you know, I found, you know, I, I found a fraternity where these guys were all deadheads. And, you know, the fraternity is, you know, has a bad connotation to it typically, but we were the good guys. Like we were the folks who, if you wanted to be in our fraternity, you were welcome to join us as long as you weren't an asshole, right? No, nobody was blackballed. <laughs> nobody was thrown out. You know, we were, just, and we, the, the basement of this place had Grateful Dead murals all around it. Shakedown Street, Wake of the uh, Blues for Allah, Shakedown, you know, all these different murals all over the place. And, when I first got to St. Lawrence, I, I walked in the front doors as a freshman and I had a ticket to a Buffalo show. And I just said, I'm looking for a ride to Buffalo. And the first guy that I talked to said, you're coming with me. And so I found my family there and ended up you know, joining that frat. And that became kind of my home base. And and that's where all my touring came from was was or started from was there. And that's where that's the convenient. story comes from, too. Oh, it was great. That's, well, I mean, yeah, that's you know, really the thing convenient. is we were, I guess three hours from Syracuse, three hours from Albany. And, you know, I, I was one of the kids at this, this private school that I didn't have a car. I didn't have a lot of money, but a lot of the guys around me did. And so you could hitch a ride with guys and, you know, all that sort of thing. And Mm -hmm. and it it just, it became a pretty easy thing. And I mean, just as a side story too, um, we were pretty close to Burlington as well, which of course is where fish came out of. And, and if you want to dig this one out, 1987 fish played the living room of our fraternity because they were, you know, basically (laughs) a bar band at that time. And uh, that was after I'd left, but they, that, that's, you know, the nature of our world was that we were kind of in that kind of jam band universe up there Mm -hmm. that was developing out of Burlington and every place else. And we were kind of a a little hot spot that was pretty fun. So just, um, just as a note, this is, uh, this is Dick's Eve that we're actually recording this. I have some some friends coming in and we have uh, four, I, I live like 10 minutes from Dick's. So the next four nights, oh, uh, yeah. I'm going to be uh, living it up. out of fish dicks. <laughs> lucky you. Lucky you. Yeah. I got to see them here in Seattle when they were up here this on starting off their spring tour. Um, that was awesome. really fun too. So you're, you're, you'll, you'll be in for a good time. I'm sure. So 1983, out of the blue, the dead announced they're going to play Lake Placid, which, you know, they'd played a lot of upstate New York shows in weird spots, Binghamton, Glens Falls, you know, all over the place, little strange spots, Cornell, of course. But Lake Placid, to my knowledge, is the farthest north they'd ever come at that point. And that was a about a two-hour drive from where we were going to school. Um, so a bunch of guys went down there, and this is pre- internet obviously by a long way so you had to go wait in line and some guys went down there and waited in line at the at the uh, box office and we ended up with fistfuls of great tickets i ended up in the 21st (laughs) row for this show um and it was just there was just a lot of energy and excitement around it because they'd never come so far north and they'd never come so close to our school. You know, not, nobody played up there. You know, why would you? Lake mm-hmm. Placid is probably seven hours north of New York City. It's way off the beaten track, which is probably why they chose it. So, mm-hmm. you know, we were just buzzing with excitement for this show. And this is where things are a little fuzzy for me in the beginning of the story, but it, it, it solidifies. You know, so like the night before the show, 
um, or the day before the show, I'm hanging out in the basement of our fraternity, drinking beer with a bunch of guys. And there's this fellow hanging out there who wasn't part of our friend group, or maybe he was, but um, he's talking about how he's heading for Lake Placid that day. And I said, wow, you know, could I hitch a ride with you? And he's like, sure. And and so I, I didn't know who this guy was. He was a friend of a friend, but I, I just wanted to get a head start on everybody else. I didn't have a car. I didn't have a ride. So I'm just going to grab the first thing that comes along. For and sure. so I end up in this pickup truck with this this um, relative stranger who I figure out about 15 minutes into the ride, you know, the, the back window of his pickup truck is broken out. And he's broken out <laughs> the back window of his pickup truck so that he can grab beers out of the bed of the truck while he's driving. <laughs> oh, he did um, it. <laughs> is a, <laughs> yeah, he he'd done that. He he'd made that a convenience for himself, and so I had a couple of beers with him. But I'm now riding, you know, you know, and he was a pretty good drunk driver, I'll say, which is you know not something you necessarily want to say. But uh, you know, he we're cruising along, and he, and he said, "So where are you, where are you headed?" Well, I, 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 at this point, I'm on the bus, right? There's nothing I can do. Right. Um, and. <laughs> And I think this must have come up previously, or I, I probably wouldn't have taken the ride. But along the way, he goes, "So where are you staying?" And I said, "I don't really know. I'm just I just want to get to Lake Placid, and I'll figure it out when I get there." And he's like, "Really?" And I said, "Yeah." And he goes, "So you don't know anybody in Lake Placid?" And I said, "No." And he said, "Well, there's this house on the outskirts of t- towns called the the Spud Hut. It's this farmhouse in the middle of a potato field. It's a bunch of hippies there. They'll probably let you stay there." And I was like, "Okay." So he takes me to the Spud Hut. You know, we get there and i see a bunch of guys out front playing hacky sack and he says all right have a awesome. we'll see you later so i get out of this truck walk up to the spud hut and say hey guys my name's steve and you know i'm going to the show tomorrow is there any chance i could crash on your floor tonight and they're like yeah of course no problem so i just start playing hacky sack drop my backpack down and you know and now i've, I've found a place to stay for the night I don't know, a half hour later, they said, hey, we're going to go into town. And uh, if we go to the Hilton, they've got a free buffet there. You know, if you buy a beer, you can eat all the food you want. And I was like, that sounds what? perfect. So we, <laughs> yeah, so back in the old days, that's how happy I <laughs> was. Like they would the, put out, you know, steamer trays. The, of, the 80s. Yeah, steamer trays of wings really and all kinds of- <laughs> It did. It did exist. And, and, and we knew about it. We were going to take full advantage. So I hop in a car with That's a bunch awesome. of other strangers and we head into Lake Placid, go to the Hilton. I buy a beer and stuff my face with as much buffet food as I possibly can while they're doing the same thing. Uh-huh. You know, we're, we're being well behaved about it, but, you know, we're taking advantage of the system for sure. And, you know, I've, I've spent my, you know, my money that is allocated that night on a beer and uh, I turn around to leave the bar and uh, with these guys because i'm catching a ride home with them and as we're leaving you know we're we're exiting the bar and i walk right into bob weir bob weir is entering the bar and on his left is bill kreutzman and on his right is brent brent midland the three of the three of them and i have now like are blocking each other from entering or leaving the bar and i knew that it was bobby's birthday that day the 16th and i said hey bobby happy birthday and he goes yeah thanks man and and I said, how do you like the Adirondacks? Because it was October in the Adirondacks, which is like the most beautiful time to be there. And he's like, it's it's freaking gorgeous. And we're really having a great time. And we're happy to be here. Like, that's so cool. And I at this point, I'm like, my tongue, I'm chewing on my tongue, trying to figure out what I'm going to say next. Right. At which point, Brent goes, where's the head in this place? <laughs> and I said, uh, it's right down the hall. So I walk with Brent Midland down the hall to the men's room, take a piss with Brent, shooting the breeze with him while we're both, you know, taking a leak. 
And at this point, I'm not going to leave. So I walk back down the hall with Brent back into the bar and the guys that I come with have, have, are realizing what's going on. So, I mean, I had enough money to have one more beer. So I basically am hanging out with these guys and, and, you know, the, the, the Bobby Brent and Bill kind of went off to their own corner and we kind of let them be, but we're kind of all there slack jawed. Like we're hanging out in the Hilton with these guys. Right. And and, how can you not be? So I didn't really have much more interaction with them. Yeah. But, but yeah. Also, you didn't want to get up in their business too much either, right? Oh, yeah. So we we, we yeah, had no a flight encounter, but that was like the big. I haven't even gotten to the show yet, right? And I've 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 hitchhiked down in this crazy truck, found these crazy hippies, and then met the band and then all that night before, and then ended up back at the Spud Hut and uh, spent the night. And then the next day, of course, everybody's rolling into town, and um, again, a lot of anticipation. And I think one thing that can't be left out about this was the, the venue was the Olympic ice arena. It's 1983, three years prior to that, the winter Olympics, the miracle on ice was in this arena. This is where the U S hockey team had beat the Russians. So this, this was kind of a, a a legendary venue where the dead are going to be playing. And so there's a lot of vibe to the town. There's, and we're only three years after the Olympics. So all the Olympic infrastructure is still present and, you know, they can handle crowds and so on. But of course, also the hippies are all running around town, black, blacking out the PL on all the signs. So instead of Lake Placid, it now said uh, Lake Acid <laughs> was what you saw everywhere you looked. <laughs> That's great. That's great. And uh, <laughs> so the vibe was really good, you know. Um, everybody's coming from all over the place, but you had to really want to be in Lake Placid to be at these shows. Um, there's actually on YouTube, there's a video out there um, that I found a couple days ago. If you put in Lake Placid 1983, Grateful Dead, it pulls up this video, but then it says it's Kansas City. But when you look at the video, it's actually the parking lot of Lake Placid. And it's really mm -hmm. grainy footage, but it's kind of a cool shot of Shakedown Street and all that. Anyway. Mm -hmm. um, I love so, digging that stuff I, up on YouTube. So all my buddies who, yeah, yeah, I didn't, and I didn't even know that it was out there. Um but it's kind of cool. And at one point, you know, in the video, it's so grainy. But at one point, I'm like, is that me walking through the parking lot? You know, with one, at the time, I right. had hair, long blonde hair, right? Um, but I don't know. We'll never know whether it was me or not. And it doesn't really matter. Uh, but that, so that afternoon, everybody starts arriving, including all my buddies from school who had not come down the night before. So I find my posse. We are all hanging out. <laughs> and, of course, start getting getting down to business, right? And and getting ourselves all primed up for the show. And I knew my timing pretty well. I ate a big handful of mushrooms, knowing that it was going to be just the right amount for just the right time. And mm -hmm. and we had reserved seats, too. So there was no, no rush to get in. But then, you know, then we couldn't help ourselves. And in we go. We get to our seats. And, you know, I don't know what the time frame was at this point because it all starts to get fuzzy. Um but I'm in the 20th row looking right at the stage going, holy cow, this is going to be amazing. And this is where the trouble starts. Because then when the lights go out, the band comes out. And I'm at this point, Jerry's on my side of the stage. And I'm, I'm 20 rows back right in front of Jerry. And he looks white as a ghost. I mean, <laughs> ashen. And, and I'm looking at him and stuff is starting to happen in my brain. And I'm just like, oh, my God, he is really sick. Jerry looks mm -hmm. awful. This, oh my God. And I, I now have convinced myself that he's so sick that this is going to be the last show ever. <laughs> and I, I, I've, I've got myself like wrapped up in this and I'm like, oh my God, this can't be true. So I look down the road to one of my buddies and he's got his head in his hands. His, his elbows are on his knees and his head are in his, hand, in his hands. I'm like, oh my God, Mike knows too. And so I, I start, <laughs> I, I whisper to the person next to me, 
you better buckle up. This is going to be the last show. And I'm, they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> look at him. Look, Jerry looks awful, you know? And at that point, there mm-hmm. were some shows where Jerry looked pretty awful. I think he started to get into some, you know, nasty business that he shouldn't have been doing. And, and of course, my brain was pretty twisted up. And I, I got myself pretty convinced that this was this was truly the end. And that was a little bit weird. Really weird way to start a show, right? Yeah, no doubt. But then they start to play. And I don't know whether you looked at the set list for this show, but they opened oh, with a show. Yeah, you I listened to the show, show and and was wishing I had more time before you and I met just a few minutes ago for this to listen to that sugary one more time, honestly, because it's so good. Like, it's like what you're like, you get through it and you're like, wow, that's like the best sugary ever. And then, and then like five minutes later, you're like, whoa, that really is the best sugary ever. And then like five minutes later, it's like 17 minutes long and it's, it's the best sugary ever. (laughs) And and I think by my math, it was the longest song in the whole show. It was longer than Terrapin. Uh, you know? Maybe, yeah. And and Jerry, you know, starts off kind of loping through it, just kind of gently getting his way into it. And by the end, he was fanning. I mean, he was fully fanning at the end of the song. So at that point, mm. I'm beginning to let go of the notion that this is the last show. I think he's going to be okay. And I think yeah. I'm going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> they seemed inspired by the area, obviously. I mean, like, you know, I don't know if yeah. it was the area or whatever, but uh, you can tell by just that first song that the, uh, there was some inspiration there that night for them. Oh. No doubt. Dude, they, they, they played that sugary as if it was the last show, but they also played it with so much energy that we, it was just like a launching pad and it got the whole crowd going. Everybody mm-hmm. was into it. And then of course, you know, into a little, little red rooster with Bobby, um, I think still trying to learn how to play slide guitar, man. That is like my <laughs> least favorite song ever. And, yeah. uh, yeah. and him, you know, I know he'd been playing slide for a little while at that point, but it was, that was, that was only, that was the low point of the show for me, but it was so early on, it was easy to forget because then that nice down tempo friend of the devil, which was just incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I think one important thing about this era for folks who, you know, came to the band a little bit later or, or, or whatever, you know, there were a lot of songs that were pretty new still back then. And, and brother Esau was mm-hmm. one of them, you know, that mm-hmm. was up next. And that was a, a song that not, most of us had not heard before. Some of the, the real hardcore tours might've heard it, but I had not heard that song before. I love that um, song. That, uh, yeah. It's by great. The way, it's, it's a, it's a unique song in their, in their catalog. And, and it's really cool. Atmospheric so, song. I mean, it, in that in that set, they're dropping in, you know, Esau and Helena Bucket, which was also relatively new, mm-hmm. in with all these old gems, you know, Birdsong and 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 then um, and then Deal to close that first set. And Deal, like Sugaree, they had their foot on the gas pedal. It's just yeah. a really really great version of it with Brent. Just I don't know, Brent's fills in that song are so solid, and it just that first set you couldn't be disappointed you know it was just an amazing amazing first set hey there music lovers are you tired of that post-concert grime that just won't fade away welcome to a brand new way of cleansing after those legendary concerts and festivals introducing Wook Away let Wook Away be your ticket to a refreshing new you picture this you've been drinking all day and rocking all night embracing the free spirit within now it's time to wash away that unforgettable experience without losing the memories. And that's where Wook Away comes in. Our legendary gel to foam formula transforms your shower into a magical cleaning ritual. The science is real and the results are pure magic. 
Crafted with natural botanicals and loads of love, Wook Away is tough on glitter and parking lot dust, yet oh so gentle on your skin. Let the good vibes linger and the grime disappear. You can even share the love with your festival crew. Wook Away is more than just a cleanser. It's a reminder that the music lives on in your heart, not on your skin. Embrace the memories, relive the magic. It's all possible with Wook Away. Because when the music fades, the moments stay forever. People won't look away when you use Wook Away. Side effects include headaches, skin rash, nausea, blindness, hair loss, and time phasing. Wook Away is not a replacement for soap or water. May cause death. Everybody's standing on top of the chairs, you know, at that point. There was, there was not, it, it was just a lively, lively room and really, really high energy and just fantastic. Yeah. I, I feel like, you know, it, it would be hard to top that sugary and they didn't really try to. They just kept the energy up there and, and knowing that, you know, that was kick ass. It's going to be hard to top it. Let's just do the best we can. And they did. It was like the whole set was so good, like uh, all the way through. And I think you're, you know, I've already said it and you, you acknowledged it as well. I think that they were excited to be there. There were rumors too, that there were parties going on in Phil's room the night before, like people were partying with Phil. I, you know, I, I was with Bobby Brent and Bill, not really partying with them, but there they were. I don't know what everybody else was up to, but the band was definitely like relaxed and in the, in the groove when, by the time they got to the stage that night and just was really great. Um, so, you know, set break, you know, we're all just kind of, we're sweating and, and, and smiling and, and just like, holy cow, what's in store next. Right. And yeah. again, back to what I said earlier, you know, touch of gray was relatively new at that point. I think it was about a year old or so. And so touch a gray yeah. opener for the first uh, second set. And I think again, for folks, you know, everybody likes to talk about the, you know, the touch heads and how everything went off the rails when touch of gray became popular. I think it's important mm-hmm. to remember that song had been in rotation for probably five years before that album came out right and yeah. it's kind of fun to, to look back on it from that perspective that it was a pretty young song in the early 80s and that they really developed it and developed it before it became a hit all those songs on that album uh were pretty developed you know the west la and yeah. just it, you know it feels like they were ready to be recorded when they did and, and i i think that's a particularly good album in their catalog when it comes to studio albums probably because of that because mm-hmm. they rehearsed on the road right which you know is, yeah. is kind of sp- you know, stating the obvious, but I think it, it shows itself in the development of those songs. Yeah. And I just, you know, that second set, um, touch of gray was a great, great opener. Um, and then I think Samson and Delilah, obviously always a very lively song, but this one I think was pretty, you know, Jerry and Brent were kind of feeding off each other in that song in a really powerful way that it's not one of my favorites, but that version of it is really freaking good. And yeah. just brought the energy right straight up. Yeah. And then, no you know, it, go ahead. Uh, no, yeah, I'm just agreeing with you. I, and as a drummer, personally, I love that song. <laughs> yeah, well, no, you get to pound the skins yeah. with Reckless Abandoned, yeah. right? It's, it's, it's a fun it's super to play. Fun, I'm sure, as a drummer. But then, as Jerry would like to do, he's like, okay, now we're going to tap the brakes. And then to lay me down, holy cow. And this was yeah. another crazy moment for me because I'm at, I'm pretty I'm tripping balls at this point, and I'm <laughs> I'm just really to lay me down is just I just think such an elegant, beautiful song. And I'm standing on my chair, and there's this woman standing next to me who's a friend of mine, and and uh, we looked at each other and and looked at the stage and looked at each other again, and the next thing I know, we're making out, right? So I'm now. <laughs> essentially making out with this beautiful woman standing next to me on a chair and i'm just like oh my god 
what else could happen, right? I've, I've hitchhiked down here, met the band, great first set. Now I'm making out with this beautiful woman who I ended up having a, a, a somewhat long-term relationship with. And it was awesome. just what, like, just such a beautiful, wonderful way to, to, to settle into that song. And, you know, man, uh, women are smarter up next. And again, not one of my favorites, but a, a spirited version of it. And it's kind of funny because this this whole show was a mix of like mind-blowingly great versions of songs and then other selections that I was like, oh, really, this one? And oh, my God, they're playing it pretty well, you know? Yeah. Into Terrapin, and it was an epic Terrapin, but... No doubt. Again, it didn't reach, it, you know, the, the opener, Sugar Reed, <laughs> was the most <laughs> no. probably yeah. lengthy, epic song of the whole show, but then to throw a Terrapin into the second set... um. And that's just such a lyrical journey that I just loved having Jerry take us on that journey every single time. And, and I really felt transported that night. I felt like I was in the story with him, um, mm -hmm. you know, that I was sitting around that fire hearing, hearing the story told. And it was yeah. really, really special for me. Um, I think that's the, the draw of Jerry uh, in particular. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he may not have the best singing voice, but he can tell you a story and, mm -hmm. uh, and, make, you, and make you feel it and hear it. Uh, really well which is what great filmmakers do what great yeah. songwriters do you know but it, telling a story is not everybody has it but boy did he have it yeah um well and that you know and then drums was drums and i i've i've actually always enjoyed drums and and you know i know a lot of people who get a beer but i i that was a, a really special drums too it didn't shake the place like the warm oil did for me in 1980 but they were going after it they were they were they were hitting pretty hard that night and having fun and everybody just was i just got even more amped up which really brings me to kind of what was the the major highlight of the show for me and i don't think it's reflected in the recording um but the wheel Mm -hmm. The way that they eased their way into the wheel, and that's the way to do it. I, I just heard Michaela Davis play this uh, about a month ago in upstate New York. I was there and, and listened to her play a version of the wheel that was just incredible with her on the mm -hmm. harp. And I think it, it's a song that really can can uh, unfold. And the way yeah. they unfolded it that night was really really well done but what happened and you'll if you read any of the reviews of the show of people that were there there's something that everybody saw and we were down on the floor what would have been the rink and then the bowl went up and then there was a ring uh, like a walkway about halfway up the the bleachers that was this fluorescent lit um, walkway and then right. i think there were some more stands above that during the wheel all the heads that were up in that walkway started holding hands and and dancing in a circle around that walkway. So when you like looked rotating? up from the floor, rotating. So when you looked up from the floor, you saw silhouettes, backlit bodies, all holding hands in one continuous ring around the entire arena. And that <laughs> ring was dancing. I don't know whether it was clockwise or counterclockwise, but the wheel was turning. Mm -hmm. And it didn't Only slow at a down, Grateful Dead right? show. Only in a Grateful Dead show. And all of us on the floor, you know, we started tapping each other on the shoulder and saying, look up. And you could see this ring of people dancing around in that backlit way. And it was like the, the awesome. shadows of the terrapins or the shadows <laughs> of the dancing bears, right? That you yeah. could see this this unity and this this movement that was in perfect rhythm with the song. And it wasn't a special effect. It was people. And it I, it, it makes my skin tingle. It's spontaneous. Just talking about it. Yeah. 
it's totally spontaneous, totally yeah. in rhythm with the music, totally tied into the moment, and and um, probably one of the most special musical moments I've ever had. Um, mm-hmm. And again, I don't think it's necessarily reflected in the recording. There are probably better versions of the wheels that you can listen to, but when I listen to that version of the wheel, it takes me right back to that floor and looking up and seeing that that rotation happening and i know it wasn't just me (laughs) because you you read the accounts and people are like oh don't forget about the wheel and all those dancers it was something else that happened it did happen and you know and that's a that's after all the other stuff we've talked about in the show um (laughs) and and i mean that was second set and you know now i've got my new girlfriend holding my hand and we're dancing to this and god it was just crazy but then (laughs) Back to kind of the unevenness of it to pull I Need a Miracle out of that moment was just weird. Like, what a strange segue, Bobby, you know, and yeah. God love him, you know. I was like, what the <laughs> But But then they just, you know, from the wheel, they just put their foot on the gas all the way through the end of the show again. You know, um, mm-hmm. Miracle going down the road, good loving. It was just this lively, festive, you know, don't stop dancing show. Yeah. And, you know, by the time we got to the end of it, we were just all exhausted. Like, Jesus, what just happened? What could what could possibly come next, right? And, it, and you know, so we're all sitting there, as you do, trying to predict what the encore is going to be. Broke yeah. down, you know, you know, oh, it wasn't that a Saturday be... night. So, God, we're, everybody's, like, pulling out all kinds mm-hmm. of guesses. Nobody guessed revolution, right? No. <laughs> no doubt. And I did dig this up because I was curious. They had debuted that five days earlier at Madison Square Garden. That so this was only the second time they'd ever played it. And the mm-hmm. real big deal for us on in the in the in the dead world at that time was um, Phil started singing backup on it. The Shuby Duwas that you hear on there, Phil was actually mm-hmm. singing, which is momentous I because he hadn't yeah. sung in years. Um, and so that was like the whoa, you know, holy cow! Phil Phil has a mic and he's stepping up to it. And mm-hmm. and throwing that baritone, you know, shooby doo underneath the uh, the the revolution, it was really really a, a special way to end that show. And we're all just like looking at each other, like, what the hell just happened? You know, because by the time <laughs> the show was over, we are stunned and amazed, you know, dazed and confused, whatever you want to say. Um, it had just been a remarkable, remarkable journey through the whole show, and and one of those shows where you just sat down in your chair and and wanted to hang out until they kicked you out because you you just didn't want to leave. Nobody. Yeah. It, as I was listening to it, I, I I realized it's like every one of my favorite Jerry songs, like Sugary, Friend of the Devil, Bird Song, Deal, uh, To Lay Me Down, Terrapin Station, The Wheel. Like really, those are like all my favorite Jerry songs, <laughs> all crammed is, into yeah. one show, you know. And 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 for me, you know, I was so happy to be wrong that Jerry did live through that show. <laughs> oh yeah, I was I was so convinced, <laughs> which is so embarrassing. <laughs> but I, it was real in the moment. I was like, oh my god, he's in such rough shape. Where this is it. But anyway, I was happy yeah. I was wrong. Um, and then of course it was the journey home, and this is kind of the cap on this whole road trip for me was like piled into a car with a bunch of my friends, my real friends, people that I had known for a long time, as opposed to the guys I met with the broken out windows and all that <laughs> stuff. And we had about a two hour ride home. And of course we're all kind of, um, I don't know, vibrating, we'll say, and, uh, yeah. working our way home. And we get to the town line, Canton, New York, where our school was. And we get pulled over by the cops at the town line. We've made it <laughs> one hour and 55 minutes home and get pulled over. 
and we're just like, OMG, what is going to happen, you know? And he comes up to the window and goes, where are you guys coming from? Uh, Lake Placid. What was going on there? A concert. Who was playing? The Grateful Dead. Okay, great. Just wondering where all the cars are coming from. Have a good night. Oh. <laughs> and waves us off. <laughs> and we're just wow. what just happened? <laughs> so we, we drove the extra five minutes back to our house where we're just like, I can't believe any of this just happened. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know whether anybody else got pulled over, but we, you know, we escaped that. We dodged that bullet too. Um, and so That's that was ending on that story. <laughs> no kidding. Right. I mean, the whole thing like, for what else could end, happen? Oh, cops, <laughs> cops who wave you off and just say, have a nice <laughs> night. What the, <laughs> we, the whole thing for me, I mean, and that was, I think that was my seventh show at that point for like classic. And I saw about, I don't know, 40 some more jury shows in some combination or another after that. But this particular show, and, you know, there's so many cliches about it, but the journey was as beautiful as the, the show itself. And the show mm-hmm. was just stellar. Um, so for me, you know, at that whole experience as a, at that point, 19 year old kid was so formative for me. It really reinforced, uh, the beauty of, 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 I don't know, embracing chaos or, or, or letting things kind of unfold in front of you and, and just knowing that it's going to work out. And, yeah. and, uh, I don't know that I'd like my daughters to get in the car with a, somebody they don't know who's got a broken out back window that's grabbing beers as he's driving down the road, but it worked out for me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that one. I'm not sure I'd want my daughter doing <laughs> many of the things I was doing when I was going to see the grateful dad, uh, grateful dad either. But uh, yeah, exactly. but it is it is uh, it is interesting that it, you know those moments uh, that that we all have where we meet somebody or or, or what and, and we're friends for a very long time because of this yeah. or just all the adventures we got into because uh, we wanted to go see the good from from even going and standing in line for tickets you know uh, I have yeah. plenty of memories of some of the people that I was standing next to having a conversation for outside my karma records and in, in Anderson, Indiana, yeah. at the Ticketmaster outlet and, uh, you know, out there at 4am for, for, uh, sticks tickets or, or grateful dead tickets or, uh, you know, whoever. Yeah. So that, that's part of the journey too. You meet, I mean, yeah, it's such good well, stuff. It's, it's like-minded people, right? When you're hanging out with people with similar tastes, it, it creates a community and it can be in so yeah. many different ways, but this community that you're helping, um, you know, continue to, 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 uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. You're keeping, you're helping keep the stories alive, which I really appreciate, but all of us sharing these stories with each other and listening to each other's stories and continuing to embrace the music, wherever it's coming from is, is a really powerful thing for me. And I, 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 uh, I hold on to it with, uh, I, I, I don't, I, I guess I still need that sense of community and I, and I'm just so happy this music brings it to, brings it to all of us. Yeah. It's, it, it you know, there's not, I'm not aware of anything like this. I'm not sure that there will ever be anything like the Grateful Dead uh, music and scene and, and community was. Uh, but but that is why I do this is because I want people to know that there was something kick ass there and, and you should know about it. And, and, you know, and let's keep the spirit of that alive in some way, uh, because, I mean, it was pure and it was good. And, and you know, sure, there were there were there were there were dark elements, too, but. But for the most part, it, there was a lot of love there. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I would I would I would suggest that it's still there, right? Even today mm-hmm. going to see Dead and Co shows, you still have that spirit there. And but For also sure. like any story, like any any individual story or group story, the the story evolved over time too. I was I was on tour a lot in the nineties when, you know, quote unquote the touchheads were in full play and the band was having to tell people to, you know, be nice, you know, don't don't destroy the communities that we're visiting. Don't be a dick. You know, they, they, they had to write yeah. letters to the, the audiences and say, you guys have to straighten up your act. And they'd never had to do that before. And I don't think that any of the band members really ever wanted to play that role of being anybody's parent. But the, mm-hmm. the whole scene did start to get out of control and morph. But I think as a community, we, we were able to kind of rein it in. Um, you know, Jerry's demise, I think, was probably tied to some of that scene getting as big and unwieldy as it did. Um, the stress of it all. Past. Yeah. And it's, it's a relationship. Yeah. It's like a marriage or a, a working relationship or whatever. It's going to go through a lot of challenges and the community. I think continued to, to, to grow and expand in good ways and in ways that really challenged everybody. And, and uh, I don't know, there was a lot of, there were a lot of lessons to be learned in the parking lot as well as in the shows and on the journeys. It just, it just became a, a life, a, a, a lifelong journey of lessons for me. And I know for, so many other people, which is why these stories yeah. are so fun to hear and, and share. Yeah, no doubt. I'm a much better person because of that uh, whole experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, no doubt about it. I'm a much different person and, and better person. I have no doubt about it. <laughs> I learned a yeah, lot along right. the way as and well. Good. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and and, and as we do, and, and the songs reflect that too, the way that the songs were written and the way that it all changed over time. It's, it's just fun to, to I, I, I feel like I spend a lot, probably too much time thinking and examining it all, but I can't help myself. There's a lot of depth. Uh, there's a lot of years to examine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's the exactly. beauty of it. You know, you could pull the same song from 68 and, and 92. <laughs> Absolutely. You could examine this all day long. My, well, I just had, speaking of that, I had a discovery just last night. I was watching a Creedence Clearwater Revival documentary and i had no idea that tom fogarty john fogarty's brother had released an album where jerry garcia band was the backing band it's called excalibur and i didn't even know it existed and it's a 1972 album with jerry garcia merle saunders um uh bill vitt and john Kahn backing up tom fogarty on a solo album i had no i mean I, i i'm always astounded where i find jerry like playing but on a Tom yeah. Fogarty solo album with this entire band, yeah. what the hell? Yeah. And I've only started, I, I, one I day, started listening to it right before we met up. Uh-huh. One day I was listening I to a, a New Riders of the Purple Sage record that I that I picked up at the record shop. I was just like, I'm going to need some new music and brought it home and put it on. And so uh, I'm a huge fan of Sly and the Family Stone uh, also, yeah. and as well yeah. as The Grateful Dead. So I'm listening and I'm like, man, that really sounds like, that sounds like Sly kind of stuff and and right as i go pick it up i hear this guitar playing and i'm like that sounds like jerry and i look on the back and jerry and sly both are on this new writers of the purple sage song and i'm just like mind blown <laughs> <laughs> what is going on and uh it was so good yeah. yeah and they pop up everywhere and you were mentioning deja vu uh which for my money and, and vinyl records i think crosby stills and nash records uh specifically sound really fine on vinyl i, I don't know what it is mm-hmm. but uh what is the one where they're where they're like sitting on the front porch? I can't forgive me. I can't think That's of the name the of the CSN album. album. That's the first CSN oh, right. album. Well, like the first or yeah. second, maybe the first one had wooden ships on. But but that one in particular, I put it on and I'm just like, wow, this is like magic coming out of my speakers. You know, like mm-hmm. those records mm-hmm. sound really good. 
Yeah. So speaking of that, speaking of that, so uh, I I like to ask for recommendations uh, because I know a lot of us uh, in the community like to uh, expand our our horizons and and learn about new and cool things and and find things out. So I like to ask for, you know, whether it's music or a a specific book or maybe a movie or something uh, that you thought was really good that, that people might enjoy. Well, I, I, I've already name checked her once, but I think Michaela Davis has got me very excited. And, and I'm guessing you know who she is, that the woman who plays the harp. And I, I went to see a show she played in upstate New York, and she was selling her LPs at the show. And one of them is just called The Relics Sessions. And it's a double LP um, that I think she's only selling at the shows or maybe through her website. And it's really, really good. Um, and she just released a new album. I don't know the name of, but a lot of these songs are being played on this. It's a live recording done at the Relic Studios, and it's really good. And and then side four, all of side four is her playing Birdsong. Um, and it's oh. a really great record. It's called The Relic Sessions by Michaela Davis. Mm-hmm. And I, it may be hard to find, but if you can find it, I would do it. Um, so Might that's always good. For that. Yeah, it's, it's really darn good. Um, and then, I don't know, I'm... I'm on top of being a deadhead. I'm a Wilco head, so I'm just always pointing people towards Wilco too, because there's a lot to unearth in that band, and and it's gotcha. equal deep, equally deep well. Um, and I, I love the okay. book question too, because you don't really get that tied in very often. But there's a book I just read recently. Now I got to make sure I say it right here. Um, it's called American Nations, and it's by a guy named Colin Woodard. And American Nations it talks about how the United States is kind of tribal and how different areas of the country really are tied to the people that settled them originally and how the traditions of those people really reflect in modern culture and state lines. It's kind of like the tribal lines that were drawn in, in central Asia, right? When they drew lines for, for countries that, that split up tribes, it didn't really work. And it's just, mm-hmm. it, it, this kind of reflects that in the United States. It's a fascinating history of the United States and how we, different areas of the country still have the roots of who founded them. It's a super cool book and it makes you look at the United States a little bit differently. You know, I've never really thought about how far uh, that tribalness uh, goes back, but that certainly makes sense that, that, you know, there were, you know, since this, this area was created in this uh, rough shape for these people who believe uh, this particular thing makes 100% sense. But yeah, uh, and and it's amazing how much it can persist in uh and what you know what what they call the global world the, the global economy or mm-hmm. global information society whatever we are uh I, that may be coming less and less but it's still definitely pre- prevalent well and when you stop thinking about you know boundaries on a map having meaning and really the boundaries being how we think and how we behave, it, it makes a lot more sense. And it really is more accurate to how humans behave. So, it, I mean, I would never really say that a history book is a page turner, but this book was a page turner for me. I couldn't put it down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, and I, it really. I might pick that one up actually and, <laughs> and dig into that. That's something I've, well I've been fascinated it. with for a long time. He's a really good writer too. So, um, and movies are tough for me. Cause I just, I'm, I'm all over the map with those. So I'm not sure I'm going to comment on movies, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There's always there's always something that's grabbing me, and I I've I really have been enjoying uh, Outlander, the television series, which is my fantasy getaway with my wife, like watching these time travelers, gotcha. and it's really fun. So, well, and I guess this one's not new, but the other one I'd recommend is that Metallica movie, Some Kind of Monster. That is quite a, a film too. Just yeah, no doubt, amazing. I, 
examination of a band falling apart and putting themselves back together. It's just really fascinating. And the fact that they let that uh, be seen, you know, is, is, is interesting as well. As a bunch of tough guys, right. That they, they actually like, you know, said, you know, here's, here's our, here's our souls. Take a look, Mm you know? Yeah. That's an interesting band. Uh, Really interesting band that, that the, and they've got a lot of dedicated fans. I mean, Grateful Dead has some dedicated fans. Metallica has got some dedicated fans too. That there's no doubt. Deservedly so. Those guys have been yeah. around since 1981, and they still yeah. throw down. I mean, I I I'm a dedicated Deadhead, but I listen to a lot of different music, and Metallica does entertain me. I think that they're yeah. they're, they're great great performers. I have, so. and I have no doubt that if Cliff were still around, he would probably they would still be the four of them. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's super cool. Yeah. All right. Well, Steve, thank you. I appreciate you being on and, and telling your, your fascinating stories. Uh, the Lake Class one in particular is great. Uh, meeting Bobby. <laughs> it's yeah. got to be a, and Brent and, and Billy. And t- taking a piss with awesome. Brent. I mean, how many people can say that? <laughs> yeah, no doubt. That's <laughs> awesome. All well, right. Stuck with well, thank you. Because I felt connected to Brent for the rest of the tour. So it was fun. Oh, oh and yeah. Anyway. Uh, how could you not? Did you shake his hand afterward? No, we didn't go there. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right, Steve, thank you so much. And uh, uh, thanks for listening to Tales from the Lot. Yep, thank you. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please consider hitting the subscribe button and leaving a comment. Your feedback and engagement really goes a long way to supporting and growing the show. And really, this is your show with your stories. So if you have a story or even a few of them from seeing Grateful Dead shows or experiences of how the band has impacted your life in some way, I'd love to hear from you and have you on. My email is will at talesfromthelot.org. Reach out. Uh, Or you could use the new text me feature that's in the show notes. You can easily reach out and connect with me directly that way. And don't forget to follow on Facebook for updates and exclusive content. And for those who prefer watching, full videos of every episode are available on my YouTube channel. So uh, thanks again. And please be kind to yourself and others.